Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and I'm here today with Eddie Portnoy, a specialist in Jewish popular culture. He has an MA in Yiddish from Columbia University and a PhD in Modern Jewish Studies from the Jewish Theological Seminary. He teaches in the Jewish Studies Department at Rutgers University and is also uh, an academic advisor at the YIVO Institute for Jewish Research. I'm visiting with Eddie Portnoy today to talk about Yiddish Fight Club, an exhibition that he curated about Jewish boxers and wrestlers. The exhibit is currently on view at YIVO University of Jewish Research in New York. Welcome, Eddie. Thank you. So, Sholem. <laughs> and how did uh, the exhibit come about? Uh, the exhibit came about uh, by accident. Uh, I had, while I was researching my dissertation, which was on cartoons of the Yiddish press, I came across cartoons in some Warsaw Yiddish newspapers from the mid-1920s that used wrestling as a metaphor. Uh, for example, they would show two cantors that were vying for a post in the wrestling ring or two heads of Yiddish school systems in the wrestling ring. And uh, I thought that's a really weird metaphor to use uh, because typically the, the cartoons of the Yiddish press use uh, you know, more often than not biblical metaphors that they'll take a know, a quote from the Bible and then, you know, apply it ironically to some modern political phenomenon. Uh, so I was curious to know what Warsaw Jews knew about wrestling. So I began to uh, look at the back pages of the paper, and sure enough, I found um, uh, little notices and announcements of, of, of matches, uh, results, you know, upcoming matches, and there were notes about Jewish wrestlers. And it kind of piqued my interest, so I started to look more and more in, in these newspapers, and I began to come across, you know, more complete articles that described uh, matches and the phenomenon surrounding it. Uh, and it turned out that it was uh, something that was very popular among among Jews in Poland, uh, and that's something that I didn't really anticipate. So I actually took a full semester off of researching my dissertation. Don't tell my advisor I did this. Actually, Nobody it's all, will know. It, it, it's, all, it's all done, so it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But uh, I, I took time off and really just focused on uh, researching Jews and uh, wrestling in, in interwar Poland. And I came, across, I came across enough information that I was able to uh, publish uh, a whole article about it in an academic journal called The Drama Review. Uh, and... It was really compelling. The, you know, you had Jewish wrestlers who were given Jewish personas. Some of them were said to have been, uh, you know, yeshiva bochrim and um, uh, could still read, you know, a blot gemora or a page of Talmud. Uh, they were, you know, particularly fond of Hasidic women. Uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, interesting, funny, you know, things that I, you know, I think are funny. Um, but, you know, interesting elements that, that, you know, would make them appeal to Jewish audiences at the time. And another interesting component to this is one of the articles I found said that um, uh, the majority of the Jewish audience was actually made up of Hasidim, uh, who apparently loved wrestling and uh, you know, attended the matches uh, uh, assiduously. Uh, and for instance, one of the same article mentioned that when the Jewish wrestler was in trouble, uh, the Hasidim would, in the audience would uh, begin to sing psalms in order to try to save him. Uh, so there are all these really interesting Jewish components to, um, 
you know, wrestling in, in Eastern Europe that, that, you know, I really never imagined. And it sort of, you know, on the one hand, it kind of exploded a certain stereotype of Jews, and on the other, it, it revealed this, this, you know, sort of component of popular culture that seemed so obvious, but that no one had ever explored before. I mean, it doesn't seem like a, you know, a career that I think um, one would pursue, or it seems at least unusual for a Jew. So I, I, I right. Well, to be honest, it's really it's unusual for anyone. Um, you know, not everyone grows up to become a professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it's you know, considering you know, from what people know about Jews, especially Eastern European Jews, it's not something that you would think would be a natural choice. Although um, there, there is a, there's a, a, a Yiddish novel called Digas, uh, The Street by Yisroel Rabon, uh, which has a character who's a, a Jewish professional wrestler. So it wasn't completely unknown. Huh. Well, I'll have to translate that one. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's been translated. It has. It has, yeah. Oh, great. You could, do, you could do a new translation. Okay. Or I'll just read it in translation. Yeah. Um, so who were some of these, these guys, these men? What drew them to this? Um, well, some of them uh, are not particularly well-known. I mean, their, their real lives, what I mean. What I mean mm-hmm. is their real lives aren't particularly well-known. You have, you have these sort of personas that were created for them. So the, the first big wrestler to take Jewish Warsaw by storm was this man who went by the name of Avram Wildman. Um, Wildman, I think, is a pseudonym. It's, it's also a, a real last name, but it, it, it means a wild man. Um, and he first appeared in 1913, uh, and he disappears during World War One, and then he reappears in the early 1920s. And he was um, you know, a much beloved, you know, professional wrestler that the Jews flocked to. Um, you know, there are stories about how how kids would follow him in the street. Uh, you know, when he when when he would just walk around, um, he was he was you know considered a, a celebrity, really. Uh, you know, there's another uh, wrestler by the name of Zelig Pashov, who uh, who wrestled in Warsaw. In the, mid-1920s, who was also a celebrity. He um, performed with the Yiddish theater. Uh, he, was, uh, he was a really very well-known figure in, in Warsaw at this time. Uh, and it's one of those things that, um, you know, people who focus, you know, historians tend not to look at figures like these, in spite of the fact that it turns out that they were really quite famous uh, at the time. Uh, and you know, ev- you know, everyone in Warsaw knew who these people were, uh, but they get lost to history because uh, you know, people have a tendency to focus on um, literary or political or artistic figures. Um, you know, people who are, are connected to uh, sort of higher modes of culture. Uh, you know, I think that there's a tendency for intellectuals to, in a way, to see themselves in their work, and um, most intellectuals don't see. Um, professional wrestlers in, uh, in their work. I, I'm curious if they enjoyed celebrity status, you know, in, within the Jewish community, or did it extend beyond the Jewish community? Sure, because they, well, you know, they, they you know, like any wrestler or any, you know, athlete, really, um, you know, they were, they were known beyond, you know, the Jewish community. Uh, you know, they were especially well-liked in the Jewish community because they 
served as representative uh, of of that community. Uh, but you know, I think that they were they were generally well known, uh, you know, wherever they worked. Uh, but that's just really a function of, of this particular job. You know, you're out, you know, you know, performing a kind of athletic spectacle in front of people, and, and as a result, people remember you. Well, it reminds me, um, I'll date myself now, but growing up they had those, you know, worldwide wrestling, whatever it was, sure. and it well, was very yep. rigged. Uh, what was it? Right, it, right the yeah. WWF, the World, World Wrestling Federation. It's now the WWE. Right, and um, my, my brother Peter always, when he was in charge of the television, that's what we watched. And it was pure theater, and it sounds like when I've read um, a little bit about the exhibit and some of the names of these boxers and fighters, they have these very sort of trumped-up names or, you know, presence. Sure, right. I mean, I, I mean yes, in, in this type of environment, they, they you know, create names and personas. Um, the wrestling, you know, the, the rest, professional wrestling in, in this guise has, you know, predetermined outcomes. It's rigged. Um, you know, some of the matches are real. Some, in some matches, they really are hurting, you know, they're hurting each other. But a lot of it's, you know, spectacles, theater, acrobatics, um, you know that's typical of, of of professional wrestling. Boxing, on the other hand, is a genuine sport, and it's um, uh, you know they're really fighting. Uh, so there's there's really you know the, there are also boxers in this exhibit, and 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 it represents something else. Uh, it you know that's that's you know a real sport. Mm -hmm. But what they all you know you know taken together. The purpose of having the the images of the uh, and the of the wrestlers and the boxers in the exhibit is to um, show how uh, these Jewish athletes um, were part of a world that used a, uh, a distinctive Yiddish vocabulary, uh, and the the purpose of the exhibit is really to bring out this lexicon of Yiddish fighting terms. Uh, which I found in Evo's um, first publication. Uh, it's a linguistics anthology called Philologische Schrift, uh, Writings on Philology, and it came out in 1926. Like I said, it was you know Evo's very first publication, and it's got um, dozens of articles on all sorts of esoteric linguistic or seemingly esoteric topics, uh, like noun declension in Yiddish of the 15th and 16th centuries, um, uh, Yiddish dialects in Estonia, you know, all kinds of articles like that. And um, what happened is a, a colleague of mine, uh, Coleman Weiser, who is a, uh, a professor at uh, York University in Toronto, uh, he asked me to photocopy an article from this anthology. And uh, after I photocopied the article, I... Um, began to flip through it, and I came across this other article about Yiddish fighting terms, and I was amazed by what I found. There, you know, it was really such a rich, um, you know, such a such a rich uh, lexicon of uh, of different uh, different of different words that uh, you know I felt that I, I really had to do something with it. Could you share? I, I've I've read a little bit about some of these. Um the Yiddish words for uncommon athletic moves. Um, could you share my, any of them, or am I putting you on the spot? Um, no, I can. Uh, uh. I, I can. I can share some. Of them. Okay. 
Um, are there any that you uh, I Well, um, as Aaron Lansky would caution me, I shouldn't try to pronounce them because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I will give you the English. We'll be like on a quiz show here. A strong knee in the rear end. All right, this is an unterkletzel. Okay. Uh, you know, that's also known as a putterpletzel or a benkele. Uh, you know, and some, and some of these terms are very specific. They're really, uh, they're really kind of interesting. Um, you know, some of them have variants in English, um, like barne, uh, which, is, um, which is essentially a noogie mm -hmm. in English. Um, then you have those that are onomatopoeic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they sound like what they are. There's spoch and spang. Um, uh, uh, and a flick. And what's interesting also about uh, some of the, uh, the onomatopoeic terms is that they have uh, made their way into modern Hebrew uh, as, you know, words for the same thing. Uh, you know, the people that developed modern Hebrew, the linguists that developed modern Hebrew, uh, were all Yiddish speakers. And Hebrew didn't have words for these things, uh, they often use the Yiddish variant. So, uh, for instance, uh, flick und frask und zet and bang are, are all, you can find them all in modern Hebrew. You can find them in comic books, you can find them in literature, and people use them. It's crazy. <laughs> it's fascinating and interesting, and then I'm going to explore um, what happened to some of these fighters, um, wrestlers, following their career? I read an obituary um, that you wrote about the famed fighter Raphael Halpern, and what an extraordinary man. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's another interesting element to all of this, that, um, you know, you look at someone who's a boxer or a professional wrestler, and you think that that's sort of all they do or all they've done, uh, when the reality is that they, you know, some of these people had, you know, very interesting and complicated lives. Uh, you know, some were successful in other realms, others were not. Other, you know, some are tragic figures, uh, but uh, they're all, you know, they all have very interesting backstories. And um, going into this, um, were you surprised at the outcome? And was there a takeaway that you have from putting this all together? Yeah, one of the interesting things uh, is that. Uh, after this started to get some press, uh, I began to get emails, and I'm still getting these emails. I get them almost every day from people uh, saying that uh, they had a, you know, their grandfather was a boxer or their great uncle was a wrestler, um, that you know, there, there are a lot of people who have this in their background. And one of the funny things about uh, being in, in Jewish studies is if, when I meet someone I, do, I don't know or when I meet someone for the first time, uh, and I say that I work in Jewish studies, uh, they might say, oh, I, my grandfather was a rabbi, uh, or my, you know, great uncle was a cantor, or something like that. You know, they make some connection with, with the Jewish component. Uh, and, you know, before this exhibit, no one ever came up to me and said, oh, you know, my, my grandfather was a wrestler, or my, <laughs> my, you know, my uncle was a boxer. Uh, and now I'm getting it all the time. So it's this kind of, you know, it, it's revealing this kind of, kind of hidden element of, uh, of Jewish history that um, that people uh, uh, you know had just haven't spoken about, uh, and it appears to be very common. Um, 
good friends of mine and actually um, somebody who volunteers as a docent here, David's wife, Norrin, um, apparently has a fighter in her past, and that was the first time I had heard about it, and it was really interesting to explore. And also, you know, Jewish Jocks was one of those eye-openers for me as well when that book came out. Right. These are, these are really interesting backstories, as you say, and give you different kind of entry point into what everyday life was like and, and some of the different paths people took. Right. Right. I mean, you know, the reality is that, that you know, in the 1920s and 30s when the Jews were still working class, they were interested in, you know, pursuing entertainment that was relevant to, you know, working class people. And boxing and wrestling was one of those things. Uh, so, you know, not only did they, you know, enjoy matches, but they, they you know, worked as, as boxers and wrestlers too. Um, you know, now that the Jews are, are sort of full, you know, firmly ensconced in the middle class, um, these kind of activities are, are a lot less relevant, and so you don't really see many, many Jews uh, engaging in these kinds of pursuits. And were the, did sort of um, a little cottage industry, I don't know if that's the right word, but um, crop up around this so that they had handlers and ticket sellers and all the rest of the associated aspects of a profession? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you have, I mean, in, you know, for instance, in, in, in the boxing, boxing and wrestling were, were all used to be connected, but you know, now they're not connected at all. Uh, but in the 20s and 30s, they, you know, there was a relationship between them. Um, for instance, the Ring magazine, which was boxing's main periodical, um, also reported on wrestling uh, you know, to a significant degree. Um, the, and, and so people, you know, prom promoters and um, uh, people that made the equipment were, all, were, were often Jewish, depending on the city. Um, in New York, you know, the majority of them were Jews. Places like Chicago, um, you know, they, they you know, were often Jewish. Uh, and they, they, they typically worked together um, uh, in order to promote these, uh, these events. Um, you know, obviously most of the wrestlers uh, and boxers weren't Jewish, but at this time, you know, a fair amount were. Uh, so there was always a connection between them. Did they identify as Jewish? Yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, many of them did. Uh, in fact, it was very popular during the 20s and 30s to wear, you know, a mug and David on your trunks. Um, people were advertised as, you know, specifically Jewish wrestlers. As you know, there was a guy by the name of uh, Harry Finkelstein who was advertised as the Jewish bad boy. <laughs> um, you know, there was Herbie Freeman, the Jewish champion, um, A.B. Coleman, the Hebrew Tarzan. Uh, you know, they, they, they identified and advertised themselves as Jews because there was such a significant proportion of the audience was Jewish that it was valuable to do so. In fact, it became uh, so common that there, uh, there were certain wrestlers and even boxers who weren't Jewish, who, who posed as Jews, uh, just in order to, um, you know, to get a bigger audience. So um, can you give me a quick sort of uh, snapshot of the exhibit, as it were? So, um, and then, again, share with our listeners um, where it is and when they can go see it? Uh, sure. The, well, the exhibit, uh, Yiddish Fight Club, uh, at the Evo Institute for Jewish Research, which is housed at the Center for Jewish History at 15 West 16th Street uh, in New York City, uh, just a couple blocks from Union Square. So 
find yourself there, you can uh, you can mosey by. Um, it will be up until September 1st, so you have the whole summer to uh, come to New York and see it. Uh, the exhibit itself is actually a relatively small exhibit. It's um, uh, it's comprised of one about 40 foot long wall that uh, has introductory text and then uh, large images of uh, of boxers and wrestlers uh, and interspersed among them are all of the Yiddish phrases uh, for uh, for fighting uh, and uh, engaging in all kinds of physical violence that uh, I'm hope I'm hoping that the viewers will will take away and, and use at home. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's fascinating. Um, a great exhibit, and I could probably go on. I hope there's a book coming out about this. Maybe. Uh, it's, it's possible. Okay. Um, well, thank you again, um, Eddie. Really appreciate it, and I appreciate your putting together what um, I believe is a really interesting, great, surprising exhibit. All right. Thanks so much. Yep. Yeah. You've been listening to Tune In, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. Our producer is Sarah Blakefeld. I'm Lisa Newman. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. <laughs>